Well, good morning, friends. We're glad that you're here. My name's Kyle Kegler, and I get to play the role of campus pastor here. And we are doing something a little bit different during the month of July. So all four of the campuses, Frisco, Plano, Dallas, and uh, Fort Worth are all kind of going offline for every Sunday uh, in July. And the reason we do that, did that is as the staff and the elders and the campus editors kind of talking about what would be helpful for the summer, we just thought, hey, this would allow all the campuses to kind of address their number one need. What is it that specific to these campuses um, can we talk about? And so we're going to do five weeks, and we're going to do a series called The Outsiders. And we're going to take five stories out of Luke, and we're going to just look at Jesus. We're just going to pay attention to Jesus and how he interacts with folks that are different than us, how he models that. That's the gospel to go to in order to learn how to do that. So we just want to learn from Jesus during um, these five weeks. And so the reason this kind of came up, some of you know that we do this kind of spiritual assessment or spiritual survey every year. We call it the 4B uh, around Watermark. And so there's a couple of questions that just kind of ask, hey, how are we doing uh, as a church in all of these different areas? And so there were a couple of areas that talk about this, how do we engage with outsiders? And so I just want to show you uh, a little bit of the results here. And we decided as kind of campus leaders, hey, we think this is our number one need is that we need to spend five weeks in July talking about how do we grow in this area. So the first one is, uh, this year, how often have you shared your faith? And the reality is, is that only about 26% of us has shared it more than once a month. So that basically means that 75% of us who are Christ followers, members at this church, are not sharing our faith like God would have us do. And so we looked at that and said, hey, that, that's a growth area for us. And the second one was, how often do you invite people to Watermark as a means of introducing them uh, to Jesus? And so that one said that's only 19% are inviting people to come, just say, hey, kind of come and see um, who this Jesus is. And so we looked at that, and look, there are a lot of people. I'm looking out in the audience right now. There are a lot of people here that I see that are doing a really good job at engaging with outsiders or outcasts or folks that are different than us. But I would just tell you, this is an area where we have to grow as a church if we want to be all that God wants us to be, if we want to change Collin County, and we want to see change happen. We have got to become good at this, or we need to grow in this. So let me pray for us. We're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to spend some time watching Jesus engage with people that are kind of outside of the norm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, just how your Word um, shows us how we are to live our lives. Um, Father, your scripture says that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. And um, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us today. Would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you do surgery on us that you might convict us? Not guilt, not shame, Lord, but that you would convict us if we need to grow in this area. And pray that your word, the word of God would be active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, would it do its work today? And we want to make ourselves available for that change. And so we pray these things 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, this kind of, one of the things that kind of originated this series was, was really kind of personal uh, for me. About 18 months ago, I kind of woke up and I was hanging out, I found myself hanging out with church people all the time, okay? Now, don't get me wrong, I like church people, okay? But, but it was all I was doing. And my background, for some of y'all that know, is I was on Young Life staff uh, for 10 years. And so every single day, uh, I, at, from the age of 27 to 37, I would pull my car up to Lake Highlands High School and I would get prepared to go and I would pray to go into a place where the common question is, don't you have any friends your own age? And so, but I was always with people that were different than I was. And so what I figured out about 18 months ago was I was missing a significant part of the gospel, what Jesus was asking me to do, because I wasn't engaging with folks that were different than me. And we're going to talk about what that means as we go through this. And so here's what I did. So one of the things I love to do to kind of keep fit is I love to play tennis. And I went to Trish, and I just said, hey, are you okay if I kind of use one night of the week to join a tennis league? And she said, yeah, that's fine. And so I joined the tennis league, and it was in Garland, um, not too far from my house. And so I was intentional about jumping into that league. I didn't only knew one guy that was in the league, but I did it for the reason of, hey, I want to engage with people that I don't know, not my same group of friends or same group of people that I run with. And I made three commitments. Here were the commitments that I made going into that. The first one is I'm going to look for opportunities, okay, to move a conversation towards spiritual things. That was number one. Second thing I was going to do is I was going to look for opportunities to invite them to something that happens at Watermark, whether that was a Sunday morning or re-engage or regeneration or uh, divorce care or whatever that was. That was my second commitment. And then the third one is a little bit weird, okay? So if you watch tennis on TV, Wimbledon's coming up this next week, right? You know that as you watch, there's a net, and then the players sit on benches on either side of that net. Everybody with me? They kind of know that? Well, that also happens in kind of leagues as well, right, where you sit on either side, and there's not a ton of interaction. And so my commitment was I was just going to commit to being weird, okay? And so anytime we change sides, I was going to go just plop this 6'5 body right next to that dude, okay, that was sitting on that bench, Okay, because that said, hey, I'm interested in engaging and starting a relationship with you. And so I would love to sit here and tell you that, you know, 10 out of 12 of those guys came to Christ and they all came to Watermark and they're plugged in at Reengage. I'm not, I'm not sure if anything happened, right? That God, I have no idea. Here's what I know is that it changed me. Because what happened is my prayer life changed, and I started praying for these folks, and I prayed for wisdom and opportunities to get into a spiritual conversation. My alertness to being on mission changed. I was looking for opportunities, and I developed 10 or 12 brand new great friendships. That's what was going on. And so even though I can't look and say, hey, this was successful, this is what's happening, um, it changed me. And so for all of us here at some point, or for most of us, I should say, at some point, we kind of gave our lives to Christ. And when we did that, we understood that, hey, who Jesus was 
and we understand and believed in the God of the Bible. And we also understood that other people knowing about that was really important, that we had a role to play for other people to know who Jesus is and how he can change the trajectory of a life. And so I'm going to spend just a second, and I'm going to give you kind of four reasons why we have kind of lost our first love or why I think we have lost our first love, and then a couple of, um, of, of things that we're missing because of that. So the first one, the reason we don't do that as passionately as we used to or if we never did is because I think that we have gotten really comfortable. Okay, and so our world makes it really easy to drift towards ease and comfort. I call it comfort creep is what I call it, okay, is that I make decisions all the time to kind of make my life easier. And if you're under 50, I just want to tell you it gets worse as you get over 50, okay? And so this subtle thing creeps in, and it's because we're comfortable, we make decisions. In this case, we're talking about not to engage with people that are different than us. Second, we get fearful, We feel like we don't have all the answers that we might need if we get in a situation. Uh, We we don't want to be in an awkward, uncomfortable situation. And then a lot of us, we kind of pre-live situations. And what I mean by pre-live is we say, hey, if I do that, then this and this and this and this is going to happen. Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. And so we kind of pre-live it. And so we live in fear and therefore don't engage with folks different than us. And some of us are stuck. And what I mean by that is that we are kind of inoculated to the gospel. We've got just enough of Jesus in the gospel, okay, to make us immune to anything else. So we're kind of going through the motions. We're kind of playing checklist Christianity. And can I, can I just tell you, if that's you, if you're in this room today and you're bored Okay, with your Christian faith, something is wrong. Because there is nothing more fun and engaging and faith building than being on the front lines and being on mission with Jesus Christ. So if you're stuck, man, just we'll talk through how to, how to work through that. And less, lastly, uh, we got, we've gotten self-righteous. Okay, and so we're not overt in our self-righteousness, we're not proclaiming what studs we are or anything like that, but we do portray this idea that we've got it all together. And therefore, we don't invite people over because we've got four kids under the age of seven and our house is a wreck, right? We want to have everything together before we engage with somebody else. Everything's got to be just perfect. And the reality is we're all a mess. Invite people into your mess, Right, we talk about authenticity a lot around this place, and letting people into your world is a way that you break down barriers and develop friendships and relationships. And so those are the four things where, where what, kind of what happened to us, and there's a couple of things that we're missing out on as well. And so one, because we don't engage with people different than us, we're missing out really on just the exhilaration of walking with Christ, like I said before, it's really fun to be on the front lines uh, with Christ. Anytime I get a chance to have a spiritual conversation, my heart starts beating a little faster, and I'm thinking, hey, what, 
which way is this going to go? Is this going to go well? Not going to go well? My heart's beating a little bit. And so I get into the conversation, the butterflies go away, and it ends up most of the time being a great conversation. You know, nobody, very rarely does anybody get angry. Sometimes they're like, uh, I don't want this conversation to go anywhere after this part. Uh, but it's very rarely is it somebody who's angry. And so we had a great story this last week that we told at staff meeting. And so, you know, in our Watermark News, Rob just talked about it. There's a tear-off section, and one of the boxes there says, hey, I want to know more information about how to, how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we follow up with every single one of those. So a couple of our guys on staff met with this guy, and they just started, and this guy had some church information, I would say, right, knew a little bit. And these guys met with this guy for about an hour, and as he began to understand grace and freedom and forgiveness, and so these guys just said, hey, this guy progressively got excited, and oh my gosh, I can't believe that, to the point that they said by the end of the conversation, this dude was giddy right, about what he had just read and understood for the first time. And not only was he giddy, but the two guys that were on staff were giddy because they got to be used in that situation. And so walking with Christ is an adventure. And don't miss out on how exhilarating it is to be on the front lines with Christ. And the other thing that we miss is we really do miss an opportunity for God to grow us. If we don't live on the front lines, if we don't take some risks, we stunt our growth, our faith. And so there's a formula that I kind of have. It's just really simple, that risk-taking equals faith growing. Okay, when you put yourself out there, when you take a risk and you get those little butterflies and that heart's beating a little bit and you step through that, that builds your faith when God comes through. We've got a situation right now in our family. So one of my daughters just graduated from Texas A&M, and she took a job. It's a great job. But from dad's perspective, there's a problem. It's in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, and she is about to pack up her car, and she's about to drive up there, and she doesn't know anybody where she's going to work. She doesn't know roommates. She doesn't know anything. And so I, my prayer for her the last few weeks has been, I hope when she takes off in that car and leaves Dallas, Texas, not knowing anybody, she is saying, okay, Jesus, it's me and you. That's what I want her to do. And then I bet you in three months or six months at Christmas or whatever, when she's back here, she's, she's going to say, hey, you wouldn't believe what God has done in my life in these few months that I, when I went out there. And so risk-taking equals faith building. And so we don't want to miss out on those opportunities. And so now let's take a look, okay, at Jesus who we are to model. And we're going to take a look at his heart. We're going to take a look at his eyes. Um, We're going to take a look at his feet. And we are going to take a look at his mouth. And so we are going to start uh, before we get to Luke 5 in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 19, just to kind of set up. Jesus is basically in this passage is basically setting up his own personal mission statement. It's our mission statement for the series we're doing these five weeks, and then certainly even for the message today. So let's just read Luke 4, 16 through 19. It says this, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so what's interesting about that is Jesus is now, he's been baptized, he's been tempted, he's now on the scene early in his ministry, coming back into Nazareth, and he steps into the synagogue, which was probably his norm growing up as a kid. They handed him Isaiah to read, and he says, this is me. I am fulfilling this prophecy right here in Isaiah 61. Now, first of all, it said everybody crazy that was in the room at that point, okay? But what also happened was that Jesus was explaining, hey, I am changing the rules, Kingdom of God is not just for these Pharisees and Sadducees. Kingdom of God is for the poor. And that term poor in that, in that section of Scripture is an all-encompassing poor. It's talking about women and children and handicapped and special needs. All of those folks that in that society were outcasts, the ill, lepers. And Jesus is coming and he is changing the spiritual economy. And he's saying, I am coming to minister to the poor, and I am coming to set people free. So don't just think, set prisoners free. An all-encompassing freedom, right, that he is going to set you free from whatever there is. And so in Luke chapter 4, he comes in, he totally changes who's in and who is out. And so after that passage, after he's kind of set his mission statement, and just so you know, that mission statement has social implications, right? It is going to change that community that's there. And so after that, so if you've ever read this passage of Scripture, if you haven't, go read it because it's really pretty cool. It's one of those scenes in the Scriptures where I can't wait to see the video when I get to heaven, okay? Because Jesus kind of pulls a ninja move, okay, is what he does. It just says that he kind of slipped through the crowd unharmed. And so I don't know how that happened, but I'm real anxious to see what that looked like at that time. And then he went on, and he healed a demoniac who's a spiritual outcast. He healed a leper who was a social outsider, and he healed a paralytic who was a physical outsider. And then he healed uh, a mother-in-law who's a, uh, we won't go there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so there's four people that just, that, that he heals, and then he gets to Luke chapter 5 and the story of Levi. And here's where we're going to camp out for a few more minutes. Here's what it says. So after that, he's talking about, hey, after I had just done all these things, I had healed people who were spiritual or who were outcast, outsiders. After that, he went out and he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. <coughs> and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, and he's about to do it again. He did it in Luke 4. He's about to do it in Luke 5. He's going to redefine who gets in, who's an insider, and who's an outsider? And it says, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. 
And so Jesus has come back and he's kind of restated his mission. This is what he is about. And so I just, as a, as a step towards application, I just want to um, tell you what that means for us today. And so maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're an outsider, right? Maybe you're here and you're from another country and uh, you're surrounded by people from this country who don't understand what you're going through. Or maybe you're here and you're a person of color and you're surrounded by people of a different color who don't understand. And what I want to tell you, if you're from a different country, if you your skin is a different color, you're welcome here at this place, and you're also welcome inside the kingdom of God. He wants you. You may be here, and you may think, you may be sitting there thinking, hey, everyone around you is good. These are good people, and I'm telling you that the people sitting around you are not good. They're a mess, just like I am. You may think, uh, if we just knew what you have done, like in the last 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days or whatever, that we wouldn't let you in. Well, I'll tell you, if you know what I did, you wouldn't let me be up here, right? So we're all a mess. Or you may think that, uh, that you, ha- you may have had a fight with your spouse, you may have missed it with a kid, and You may have looked at something that you shouldn't have looked at. You may even be hungover this morning. Or you may have made a decision where you had an abortion or some other painful memory. I just want to tell you, you're welcome here. We want you here. And we do that because Jesus wants you as part of his kingdom. And so the first thing I want us to know about this passage is I want you to know, I want us to develop that Jesus had a heart that loved people. He cared about people deeply. And we're going to look at how he cared about people. And so in 1 John 4.18, it's a passage that says, hey, perfect love cast out fear. And so as we grow in our love of God and we develop a 1 Corinthians type love it casts out fear. Remember we talked that just a few minutes ago that we don't engage with people different than us because we're afraid. What I will tell you that love moves us out of our comfort zone as well, moves us out of being stuck, and love destroys our self-righteousness. So if you don't hear anything else this morning, I just want you to know it doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, what color your skin is, what you're doing in your life, Jesus loves you and wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And so Jesus has a heart that loves. The second thing that Jesus had is he had eyes that notice. And so what we find out is in just right early in that passage that we looked at in Luke 5, it says, after this, Jesus noticed Levi. Okay, and what you need to know about a tax collector during those days is Rome was the occupying force in Palestine in those days. And in order to enforce tax collection, okay, the military had a tax collector that was Jewish, okay, but the, the, the military enforced the collection of taxes through this tax collector. So what happened was the tax collector gathered what Rome needed to fill the coffers in Rome and then said, hey, you can, you can charge whatever else you want. Uh, to these people, and that's what you can take home. 
And so basically tax collectors were exploiting their own people. They were informants is what they were. They were the despised of the despised. And yet Jesus noticed him. His eyes noticed him. And so I just want just to take a second and I want to ask you how you're doing at noticing people by, um, by giving you a couple of examples. Now, I'm going to start meddling here a little bit, and it may be a little painful, okay, as we talk about some of the things that I do that I need to repent of and change. But these may be some good ideas to help you um, have eyes that notice people. And so, first of all, we need to do as a culture, as a society, as Christ followers, we need to do a better job of eye contact, of looking people in the eye and say, hey, I'm interested in a relationship with you. And so one practical way that you can do that, okay, here we go, is what if we were not on our phones in public places? Ouch. Anyone? What if we're in a grocery line and instead of checking email or texting or being on the phone, our eyes are looking to see, hey, is there somebody that I can notice or engage with? How about this? Maybe because your schedule, we've all got schedules. We've got our day planned, right? And so we've got it. And so we've got time for a drive through at Chick-fil-A. Yes? What if we parked and went in with some people and went in to intentionally be with people that we don't know? Body language, right? Eye contact. What if we did those things? What if we, um, yeah, what if, what, if, what if we did those things? And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. One, we all have our routines. Microsoft, right, calendaring, we've got everything planned for the day, right? We, we've got all that. What if we were looking, we have our day planned, but we're looking for divine interruptions, that we're so paying attention to our relationship with God that we're looking for opportunities to engage with people. And so you guys get to see Wags, Todd Wagner, and JP on the screen all of the time. There is nothing more fun than going to lunch with those two guys. It is a blast because every time we get a chance, we're all engaging with picket waiters, waitresses, people that we meet going to the store, whatever it is, and you never know what's going to happen. Now, look, I may be 30 minutes late to a meeting, okay, but it is fun. It's an adventure because they are noticing and looking for divine opportunities that God has given them. And so we need to have eyes that notice. We need to get out of our routines and open our eyes to divine interruptions. The third thing that Jesus did was he had feet that engaged. And so, as you know, so the tax collectors got some kind of booth or some kind of table or something, and the Jews would come up and they would, they would pay taxes. But they only did that once a month or once a quarter or whatever, whenever the taxes were due. But the rest of the time, let me tell you what it looked like. It looked like you walking into the mall and you see a person with their clipboard that wants to take a survey from you. Right? What do you do? We're, we're, we're doing that right. We're avoiding. That's what it looked right, like around the tax collector's booth. Folks were walking by and avoiding the tax collector because of who he was. 
And Jesus does just the opposite. Jesus goes right up to that table and he engages with him. And so some of you now are thinking, okay, but you're asking me to be weird. Okay? That's what you're thinking. You don't have to be weird. Okay? The scripture says, uh, Ephesians 4.32, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but such is good for edification according to the need of the moment. What does the moment call for? Okay, 1 Thessalonians um, 5.14 says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. So our job is to be walking through our day. We've got our plan, okay, to notice an opportunity and then to be able to say, hey, God, what does this opportunity call for as I engage this person that looks different than I look? And so I, I don't know where you are as you think through those four reasons that we don't do this, but one of the great parts about this passage of Scripture is Levi's response to Jesus. After Jesus noticed him and he engaged with him, Levi said, Jesus said to him, hey, follow me. And it just says that Levi just left everything and followed him. And so as you think about engaging with folks that are different than you, what, what does repentance look like for you? What needs to change? And so practically, one of the things that would be helpful, I know that because we're all, hey, we're busy, right? We're so busy. The reality is we've all got 24 hours in a day, and it's not busyness, it's just prioritization. And so one of my challenges today is let's make a priority of hanging out with people that are different than us. But align your life. And so in my case, I love to play tennis. That happened. And so I just said, hey, can I move my tennis game to a place that would put me in a place with folks that are different than I am. It may be for you as a mom of young kids, it may be, okay, that you invite a different set of friends over for a play day, new friends from school or where, where, wherever that is. It may be that you're in your neighborhood and you don't know your neighbors very well and you're intentional, okay, about asking them to come over, okay, and hey, let's just start getting to know one another. It may be in here. Here's a great idea. How about this? Okay, we do meet and greet every single Sunday, right? Let's just say ahead of time, you say, I'm going to take two Sundays a month, and I'm going to keep asking people until somebody goes to lunch with me. Right? And just use the time. Just schedule it. And just say, hey, I'm going to plan. I'm not going to get home till 2. As soon as church is over, I'm going to ask some people at meet and greet or that I meet, just, hey, let's go to lunch. Man, that's old school, but that's good. Right, that's really good. And so Jesus had feet that engaged people. And so if those things don't make sense to you, how about just using some of our watermark partners that we have, we have here? So we have um, a great relationship with Prestonwood Pregnancy Center. That ministry is doing amazing things. And that will put you, if you volunteer at that place, it puts you in touch with folks that look different than you, live different than you do. If you can jump in at Sigler, which is our elementary school that we partner with in Plano ISD. You can jump in with ISI, which is our international student ministry that we have at UTD. We have a bunch of families that have adopted um, kids from China, and it's awesome 
what's taking place. And so we give you all these opportunities to help you engage. The last one is, and thank goodness Christy gave me permission today to go public with this. Our clinic's been open for about four weeks, but she's like, Kyle, we don't have the supplies yet. And uh, we don't have everything that we need. And so I texted her this week and I said, Christy, we're doing a five-week message on interacting with the outsiders. Can I tell our people? And I finally got a text yesterday that said, yes, we can use the clinic. So for those that y'all don't know, it's a watermark urgent care clinic. And it's for people that are underinsured and people that are not insured. Okay, and they need volunteers. And they need volunteers to follow up with people who have come to the clinic. They've got their diagnosis, but we need people to be part of a team that just follows up and said, hey, are you doing okay? Can we help you with anything else? Okay, oh, you're having some marriage stuff? Hey, we've got re-engage at our campus, and it's a follow-up team, a connecting team to follow up. Easy way to get connected with other people. And so one of the ways that you can do is you can volunteer there, or you might just go to the school where your kids go to school, get with a nurse. All of our schools around here have kids that are underinsured and say, hey, this Watermark Urgent Care Clinic's three miles away, man. You can use this for your kids that are in your school and your parents that are in your school. It would be a huge blessing to families. That's how you can help and how you can serve those folks that are different than us. And one other really, I just think, important thing, one of the ways that your kids know that you are serious about your faith is they watch you do this. They watch you love Jesus enough that you have conversations at a restaurant with somebody. They watch you move conversations towards spiritual things, and it is one of the best ways for you to disciple your kids. The last thing that Jesus did is he had a mouth that spoke he spoke up. As he approached Levi at the tax booth, okay, he, ju- he just said, hey, follow me. Okay, he went on in that same passage, and we got back with the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're saying, hey, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus spoke up, and he challenged the culture of the day, okay, with the truth about God's kingdom. And he basically told the scribes and Pharisees throughout his ministry, hey, you think you're an insider? You're really an outsider. And those people that you think are outsiders are really insiders. And he turned the tables upside down. And so he spoke up at the right, at the right time. And so God's plan for changing the world, okay, is you. You are his plan A. And if we're not engaging with people that are different than us, unlike us, then plan A doesn't work very well. And so let me just take just a second and let me just tell you just kind of my very, very simple formula for talking to people about Jesus. Okay, so the first thing is eye contact. I look like I want to have a relationship with somebody, an engagement with somebody. Body language says the same thing. And then I ask them about themselves. People love to talk about themselves, right? They love to talk about their story. And as I'm listening to their story, I'm like, hey, where does my story intersect? How can I potentially talk about my story? Or where does the gospel intersect that story? That's it. That's my evangelism strategy. You get them talking about themselves and then pay attention. And so we can make a difference just by 
doing that. And so Jesus is basically mouth spoke up at the right times. And so here's what we've done. This will hopefully help you remember as we, as we seek to model Jesus, give you something to remember. So it's lens, L-E-N-S, right? He has a heart that loves, feet that engage, eyes that notice, and a mouth that speaks. And it creates a lens, okay, of how we look and how we love people that are different than us. And so I hope and pray today that God will do a work. And over these five weeks, that God will do a work in your heart that will make us better at this, that we'll grow in this, that we'll be intentional about this. And so you, you may be here and feel like an outsider. I just want to tell you we're all outsiders. So a little bit of my story is I grew up in a home um, where my dad left uh, the family at a pretty early age. Um, and he ended up dying shortly thereafter with that relationship completely unreconciled. I never saw him again. And so I wasn't a believer, wasn't a Christ follower. Uh, we went to church every now and then. But as soon as that happened, my mom kind of said, hey, one of the ways that we're going to survive this thing is we need to get back in church. And I had an uh, eighth grade Sunday school teacher named Connie Mijos. And the thing I remember about Connie was that at the end of every lesson, Connie just said, hey, Kyle, do you know that God loves you, right? And do you know that he's a holy God and y'all can't have a relationship, an intimate relationship? And I was, mm, I don't know, I don't know, eighth grade boy, right? Nothing. Um, and then she would say, but, that, but, you, but that, that divide between you and God can be bridged by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you. And so, again, I, I heard words. Nothing was happening, okay, but I remember it. And so one of the things that I did is I was getting ready for this message a couple of weeks ago. I sent Connie an email, and I just said, hey, Connie, I just want to stop. And I've, you and I haven't talked in 35 years, right? Can I just tell you thank you that part of my story of coming to Christ was because of your faithfulness in that eighth grade Sunday school class? And can I tell you the trajectory of my life? is 180% different than it was at that time. Folks, my life has not been perfect by any means, but I have an amazing wife that loves Jesus and we get to do ministry together. I have three amazing daughters who love Christ and are on mission wherever they are, and I've gotten to work in ministry for the last 25 years and help people reach their potential for the kingdom of God. And I told Connie, thank you because of your faithfulness. And so that was in eighth grade. Nothing, the lights were not going on, just the words, right? Ninth grade, I've got this, another Sunday school teacher. He's a gentleman and big, strong guy, not sharing the gospel as much as Connie did. Okay, but he invites me to be part of a church league basketball team. And if I'm really honest about this, I just thought, hey, 6'5", athletic, I'm going to go dominate this league. That's what was going on in my brain, okay? And so I go out there, and he coaches the team, and our first practice, he wears me out. Okay, I mean, boxing me out, being physical, playing the game the way you're supposed to play the game. Okay, and before, I had always thought Christian men were pansies, right? It's what was in my head. It's not right, but that's what was in my head from my family growing up. And after that practice, I remember making a mental note 
Okay, hey, if, if a Christian man can do that and be that and compete like that, I like it. So you've got Connie doing the gospel all the time. You've got Bob that's wearing me out on the basketball court. And you put those two things together in this chaos that's going on in my home at the time. And that's when I came into a relationship with Christ. One night I got down on my knees and I just said, God, I cannot handle this. And I played the most, prayed the most inarticulate prayer ever prayed. Help. That's all I prayed. And God showed up in my life. And so you know what's unique about that or not unique, but Connie and Bob modeled Jesus, man. They, they loved me, right? They noticed me and told me I was valuable. They engaged with me. They invited me to join a basketball team, right, and be a part, live life with them a little bit. And then they were faithful to speak up and to share the gospel. And because of those two, Okay, and the grace, the incredible grace of God, the trajectory of my life changed 180 degrees. And so you may be an outsider here, uh, but it's, it's not because of your skin color or where you're from or anything like that. If you haven't done what Levi did, okay, if you haven't, when Jesus said, follow me, if you haven't repented and followed Jesus, Okay, that's a problem. And that's how you become an insider, not based on anything else. Okay, it's about do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And my hope is, as we spent time today, is that you will come to Christ. You'll come to know that relationship if you haven't already. And if you're here and you do know Christ, that you will model Jesus and how he loves and engages and notices and speaks up at the right time according to the need of the moment. So question, how are we going to change our community? It starts right here. It starts with our own heart and you doing business with God today over the next month as we talk about the outsiders, as we look at how Jesus interacts with people that are different than us, that's how it starts. And guess what's happened? As you transform our church transforms, and then as our church transforms, our neighborhoods transform, and as our neighborhoods transform, our communities transform. And all of a sudden, we become a city set on a hill. And anytime people are in need in this community, they're like, I can go to that place, Watermark Plano, and they will help me, and they will serve me, and they will love me and tell me what's true about life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and uh, just how it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, it pierces, and I pray that we would respond to your movement, um, your conviction in our life, not with, as I prayed before, as guilt and shame, Father, but with conviction to change, to grow, to be better at what you've asked us to do, which is engaging with people uh, that are different than us, that look different. Father, so I just pray that you would help us. Would you help us do that? Father, I pray that our church would be a city set on a hill, that anybody in Collin County that finds, finds themselves hurting would make a beeline for our doors, and they would be engaged by people that love them 
and will serve them and will give them truth and grace so that their life might be transformed. Would you use this place, Lord, as a way to transform our community? But it starts with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.